starting a new sermon series today, and as, as Ryan said, we get to introduce new elder and deacon candidates, uh, both part of our senior leadership team here at Sedaris. That'll come in just a few minutes, um, but before we get there, um, I just want to set up this new sermon series that we'll be walking in through the fall. Um, you're probably, uh, this, this isn't news to you, but we're living in a time and a place where public life is marked by what? It's marked by fracturing, division, um, dissolution, tearing apart, falling apart, uh, deconstructing. This is the time that we live in. You probably, you feel it, right? You just can't deny it. This isn't nothing new. I'm not bringing this up. Our political culture, we have an election coming up in just a couple months, a pretty important one, and that is actually... um, magnifying these things that have been happening for quite some time. We're becoming more and more polarized, where they're going more to this side or more to that side. Um, We're feeling that tension. It it seems like the, the middle is becoming wider and wider. It's starting to feel like a middle school dance, where people are so pushed up against the walls. Who's going to be the people that step into the middle and start the dance afresh. Social media doesn't help this. It's shame-based. There's public outing of sin. There's this tendency to want to cancel one another if we disagree. Social media just makes that easier to do. And this isn't just new to the last six months since the pandemic, since the civil unrest. This isn't a new thing. We know this. This has been going on for a while, but actually what's happened in the last six months with COVID and and with the protests and the riots and and, and the good things that are happening as we become aware and awake of of, uh, the injustice in our land, but what's happening is not that these things created the tension of the tearing apart, they just exposed what was already happening. There were cracks They'd been there for a long time, and in the last six months, we've seen those cracks burst open. This is the water that we're swimming in. There's no getting around it. There's no escaping it. We can't put it back in the box. This is it. This is where we are. And so the question is, what do we do next? What do we do over the next two months as we build up to an election that no matter which way the election goes, there will be more tearing apart, more division, more polarizing. The dance floor will become more empty. We will go more and more into our silence. What do we do as God's people, as as people that follow the way, as people who claim Jesus as Lord, Savior, Messiah, Reconciler, Redeemer? What do we do? What do we do? Well, what we don't do is tear down. What we don't do is divide. What we don't do is make the fracture wider. Actually, what God has always called Christians to do is to build up. It's to build one another up because God is building us up. And that's what we're titling this new sermon series that will be in all fall. Build up. When the world tears down, the people of God build up. When the world polarizes, the people of God come together in unity. We are a people that build up. And so we'll be looking at this constant theme throughout the scriptures of the people of God building things up 
even if the rest of the world is falling apart around them. This is the way of God. This is the way of Christ. This is what we're called to do. Build up because God is building us up. So that's what we'll do uh, for the next few weeks. We'll talk about how does this building up happen. And um, uh, this sermon series is inspired by a lot of things. Obviously what I just talked about, about the climate, the the water that we're all swimming in. But it's also, um, uh, just as I've prayed about, hey, what do we talk about next? Just finished our series in in 1 and 2 Peter. What do we talk about next? And and God just kept bringing this image back into my mind. Um, and it was, it was an image that God gave to me in the middle of a wedding reception. So uh, many of you knew, know Mark and Megan Lawrence. They got married, what was it, like a little bit over a year ago? And um, uh, I was at their wedding. It was an incredibly hot wedding, so um, I was physically fatigued. And we went to the reception afterwards. It started to cool down. It was very windy outside. And it, it was up in the mountains. And... Um, tall, tall trees, and I remember standing there, a bit exhausted, and I just remember standing there looking straight up at these giant trees, and the top of the trees were swaying back and forth, probably 15 to 20 feet in either direction, and when I looked up, it felt like the whole forest was about to fall over. It felt like turmoil and storm. And then I let my eyes draw down the trunk of the tree. And as my eyes came down the trunk of the tree, the swaying began to minimize. And then I looked at the trunk of the tree, and sure enough, most of you have probably done this in your life, the trunk is not moving at all. It's completely stable, completely sound. There is no sway, no movement, no shaking. It's about as sure of a thing as could possibly be. And in that moment, I said, this is what life in Christ is like. Because we let God build us up to heights and depths, and he takes us into places that that are stormy and windy uh, and create this feeling of shaking. If we're rooted in him, though, we are solid as a rock. We are unshakable, as we just sang. We cannot be moved at all, even though we feel the sway of the wind. And I just thought, man, that is the image that we all need right now. So as we were just singing this song, Build Me Up, I just felt compelled to raise my hands as high as I possibly could. In fact, my shoulders are sore. I felt God stretching me out, my arms higher and higher and higher, just asking God to build me up, God. So that I might peek above the other trees, that I might help my city and my church and my friends and my family see beyond what is to come because you've built me up higher than the other trees. So that I am not living in fear and fright, but I might look to the distance. But you know what? It's windier up there, isn't it? So if you ask God to build you up, it's not that you won't experience the wind. It's that you will by nature of growing, be also built deeper and rooted and strengthened in Christ. So that's my prayer, that we might be the people that actually peek our heads above the tree line, experiencing even more of the wind than the average person, while also being built deeper and more secure at our base. I think we can do that.
and this series will try to figure out the ways God has given us wisdom and instruction to go both high and far and deep and strong. And so that's what we'll do for the next probably 10 or 11 weeks. We'll be talking about these questions. How do we build up even while the world seems to be torn down? Excited? (laughs) I'm excited. I'm excited. And so um, on this very first week of the series, what we wanted to do, we thought this would be a perfect time. We've been kind of waiting to do this, to be honest, since last March. We were planning to, to announce these elder and deacon candidates that will be together a part of our senior leadership team. Uh, we were going to do that back in, the Mar- in March, but you know what? Um, something happened, and it just didn't seem like the right time. And um, so now seems like the right time. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit today about how God uses and calls specific leaders in the church to take on these responsibilities and roles of being elders and deacons as a means to help build us up so that the whole church can be a church that builds others up, okay? So how does God use leadership structure in a local church to do this? We're going to talk about that today, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that. If you've been through our family member class, we talk um, at, at length about this as well, but we want to give you just a little bit of background about how we understand and interpret what the scriptures have to say about senior leaders within a church, um, men and women working together, joining together for shared leadership in the service of the king and the building up of his body, the church, okay? So that's what we're going to do. And um, I want to start first by talking about God's call to elders. Now, there's three terms that are used in the New Testament to talk about this particular leadership position. Um, Elders is one of the terms. Um, Overseers is the other. And then uh, uh, sometimes they just use the word pastor or shepherd, okay? But all of those terms seem to be used interchangeably by the writers of the New Testament, okay? So... Um, We're just going to read a couple passages about what the New Testament writers say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say about how to structure or how to look for elders in each and every local church. So I'm going to read for you. It's going to be on your screen. Acts 14, verse 23 says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay? So this seems to be, again, the book of Acts is is just a narrative documenting the beginning of the Jesus movement. And so they were traveling city to city, preaching the gospel, and when somebody would hear the gospel and believe, a small church would form, and that church would grow in number as more and more people came to believe, and it got to a point where there needed to be some leadership structure. And so it says, once they had appointed elders in every church, they committed them to the Lord. Okay? Titus 1.5 says this. Titus 1.5 says, This is why I, Paul, this is Paul writing this letter, this is why I left you, he's writing to Titus, left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the island of Crete, 
There's many probably house churches, and Paul is sending um, one of his key uh, students and somebody he's discipled. He's saying, I want you in Crete to go around to each of the local churches uh, that remain and put them into order. Order is important. Order is important to growing and building up the local church, the mission of God, and one another. And you do this, create order by appointing elders in every town as I directed you. Okay, now let me read to you Philippians 1, 1 through 2. So this is the very beginning of a letter, again, written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And Paul writes this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So he's writing to the whole church. And then he says this. He's addressing them. So he says, To all of the church with the overseers, again, remember what I said about interchangeable, elders, and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a salutation. This is a greeting in the letter. And who does he address? Well, he addresses the church at large, and then he seems to address the senior leadership team, which include, includes what? Both elders and deacons. And you see how he's putting them right there next to each other. That's important and powerful that it seemed to be not only that elders were part of these senior leadership teams in a church, but also deacons. Elders and deacons working together to create order in the church. Now, I'm going to read some more from Titus 1 on specifically his charge to the elders. So starting in verse 5, Paul writes this, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, see how he uses overseer and elder interchangeably here? This is one of the passages where it seems like they're the same position in the church. Um, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Moving on, he says in verse 8, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many, continuing in in Titus, verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. I can't go into this, but there's a group that taught a particular type of theology that Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, needed to be circumcised and become Jewish by circumcision in order to be a Christian. So he, Paul has lots of run-ins with this group of teachers who are teaching something that is clearly not part of the original gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Okay? So you see this here. This is, this is very key. Um, when we're trying to understand what an elder's responsibility and role is, we have to understand that it's primarily focused in 
the, um, the realm of teaching the Word of God and protecting the doctrine of the community. That's really, when you read all the passages about elders, that really does seem to be the primary thrust and focus for the elders of a church. So currently at Sedaris Church, this is probably not a surprise, we have two elders, that's myself and Pastor Ryan. Um, and, and as you can tell, a huge part of our job is to protect the doctrine and the teaching of the Word of God. So when we invite someone into uh, to join our elder team or our senior leadership team as an elder, that is going to be the primary focus of their calling. That doesn't mean that they're not involved in all the other things that happen, but, w- but we believe God is giving them a particular ability and a particular responsibility to protect the community from bad teaching, bad doctrine, divisive people who want to bring in false teaching, teaching contrary to what the apostles taught. That's one of the primary callings on the elder of the church. So remember that um, and uh, see how that plays together. So if that's what the elders do, then what do the deacons do? What do the deacons do? Now, let me jump then back to the text I told you about, Acts chapter 6, okay? So Acts chapter 6, if you put a marker there, you can open it now and read along with me. This is an important text. So this is the sixth chapter in the book of Acts, so it's very early on in the Jesus movement. The church was in Jerusalem at this point. Jesus had died. He'd rose from the grave. He'd spent 40 days teaching amongst the disciples, and then he said, I must ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father so that I can send my Holy Spirit to fill up all believers so that they can then carry out the work of ministry, okay? So it's important to say this. Um, elders or deacons or any leader in a church doesn't have a different spirit than every other believer. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God, although they have distinct responsibilities and roles within the community, okay? So this is after Pentecost where God sent his spirit and people were filled by the spirit and, and thousands were saved and the church is growing and lots and lots of people are in need of care and help and, and let's pick up what happens next? This is chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So clearly, there was some type of commune that had formed in these days where um, Christians were spending a lot of time together and, and Christians had brought in, as Jesus commanded, uh, widows, um, orphans, people who did not have a family that was caring for them. They brought them in and took care of them. This is what the church of Jesus Christ has always done. But within this large group of disciples, there were widows who came from different backgrounds. Some were, it says, Hellenists. What's that mean? That means people who were Jewish, but spoke Greek primarily. So they were, um, in in some people's mind, maybe less Jewish because they had uh, assimilated to the Greek culture that had taken over the Mediterranean world. And, and, And there's another group. It says the Hebrews. Now, who are these? These are Jewish people who had who had believed in Jesus Christ 
And they spoke either Aramaic, which was very common in Israel at that time, or perhaps even spoke the Hebrew language. So here's what you have. You have a, uh, already in the early church, people from different backgrounds, um, different cultural identif- identifying markers, and not everyone's being treated equally. So what do we do? Do we create two separate churches? Let's see what the apostles did. Look at this. Um, now, now, I'll just say this. The daily distribution, meaning the giving away of food to those who couldn't buy food for themselves. So again, you have this community coming around people um, to help them thrive and live and building them up. Do you see that? The church, that's what the church does. Verse 2 says this, And the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, um, most of them (laughs) had been the twelve disciples. One of those disciples didn't didn't go so well for him, and so they added a twelfth. The twelve now acted in this community kind of like what an elder became, but they called them apostles. The twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said to them, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this is not the apostles being sort of arrogant, saying like, oh, that's so below me to be a a server of tables. That's not what's going on. What they're saying is, within a community, if everyone does exactly the same thing, that community will not move forward. And they're recognizing there's other leaders in their midst that can do a lot of the work of the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. We don't need to do that. God has given us a primary calling to teach the word of God, to take the the gospel to the nations, to preach, and to move the mission forward. So they say, it's not right that we should give up doing that, because that's important, in order to do this other important thing, which is to make sure that there's justice in our community, that everybody is being served and cared for and built up. We can't do it all, but we should keep doing what God has called us to do, and we should find other people to help us do the other things. So verse 3, so therefore, brothers and sisters, they're speaking now to the whole church, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of, of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Okay. This is amazing. Now, now, this is so important. Look, they didn't say, pick some really good managers of systems. Pick some really good administrators. Pick some uh, really reliable people. No, what do they say? People of good repute, character people. Number one thing, character people, good reputation, full of what? The spirit. Spiritual people. And full of wisdom. Wise people. So when we are looking for people to take on these duties, we're looking for character people, people full of the Spirit of God, spiritual people, and people full of wisdom. Wisdom being different than just uh, intellect. People who have the wisdom of God. Who we can appoint to these duties. Now what we know about, when we just keep reading the book of Acts is that these deacons that they end up... Well, this is where we get the, what became deacons. They don't call them this here, but this became um, the, the office of deacon within the early church. 
this, this idea uh, that we get from uh, Acts chapter 6. Uh, and what we see, though, is that it's not just about serving tables. Because the very next story we get in chapter 6 is one of those deacons, Stephen, who is out preaching the word of, the God, of God in the streets, and he ends up being stoned to death and becomes the first martyr of the early church. Uh, don't be scared off, <laughs> deacon candidates, okay? It doesn't say this will happen. My point here is that when we talk about the, the works of the deacon, lots of what we see happening is the same kind of work that the apostles were doing, um, just with a, a different focus of what the primary responsibility is. So, so deacons are doing all sorts of things. They're doing evangelism, as we see with Philip. Stephen is preaching in the streets. So there's all sorts of ministry that happens with the deacons. Um, it's just the primary responsibility is to make sure that justice and the way of Jesus is lived out in the community of God. Do you see that in the story? There was, a, there was injustice in the community. There was a particular group of people in the community that were getting privileged, getting bigger portions, and there was another group who were being um, marginalized. Do you see that? And the work of the deacon is to make sure that the thing that the apostles are preaching is actually happening in the community of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That is the call of the deacon, to make sure that there's not a double-mindedness in the church, meaning the elders are preaching one thing, but our church is living totally differently, and if it is, it's the job of the deacon to say, no, this is not the way of Jesus, and to create justice in our midst so that we might be that city on a hill, that bright shining light that the world looks to and says, that's the kind of kingdom I'm dying to be a part of. That's the kind of world I want. And it's happened right here in the church. And who made it happen? The deacons. Listen, if you can't tell, one of our goals is to reclaim the dignity and honor and irreplaceable nature of the office of deacon. We feel like, for some reason, it has been diminished, and it's part of the reason that the church of Jesus Christ in our country is not growing up into the splendor and glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. The deacon is so important. Clearly, God's been telling us that. And we're so excited for the first time as a church to get to be adding officially deacons now, everyone that will be uh, presenting to you as candidates today has already been, in some way, living out the role and responsibility of deacon, most of them for a very long time, and we're finally now saying, look to these people, these people God has opened up to the eyes of the community as called and gifted by God to be deacons. Oh, goodness gracious. Thank you, Jesus. You know that Ryan and I cannot do this on our own. The mission will fizzle out. And he's brought people alongside of us to help the elders in the church and deacons in the church. It's, it's a really exciting time. If you can't tell, this is a really exciting moment for our church. We've been patient and we've waited because every church planter I talked to said, don't just give somebody a title before they, you see the Spirit of God working in them. And each and every person here today that we're going to uh, invite up here has shown that they have the Spirit of God flowing through them, that they have God's wisdom, 
And we're so excited that they are wanting to use that in the service of our local church. Amen. So, elders, deacons, working together as senior leaders in the church to bring about the movement of God's mission into places that it it does not have dominion, taking um, the Word of God into places it hasn't been before, and, and applying then the Word of God into the community as it grows. You see, you see how these things have to be happening at the same time? Otherwise, you get a distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what was once rooted deep, now when the wind comes, gets blown over. Let that not be our story at Sedaris Church. So... I'm going to bring these folks up here in just a second, but I want to run through for you um, the qualifications for each of these offices in the church, elder and deacon. And I'm going to run through them quickly for you. But what I want you to know as someone watching at home, that we are going to give two weeks. So they're just candidating today. So, So once you know their name and face and and um, now, you can, now you can start to think about your experience with them, and we want to give two weeks for you to respond and give any input, any concern you might have, any questions you might have, to then speak into this process. And then in two weeks from now, once we've worked through any, of, any and all of those concerns or questions, then we will confirm them as elders and deacons in the church. Does that make sense? So... So we'll can't, they'll, they'll stand up here as a candidate today, and then in two weeks, um, um, hopefully everyone is in agreement in the church that uh, we can trust that these people are called to this, and, and so you, you have a part to play. Um, it's not a vote, per se, but it is a giving of the best information that you have about these candidates, okay? So if you have any concerns, if you have any questions, what you're going to want to do is email Ryan or myself, Ryan's email is ryan at sedariuschurch.com. My email is david at sedariuschurch.com. Email us and then we can start a conversation. But what I want you to be thinking about is these character qualifications for these particular roles. So let me start here with the role of elder, the office of elder. So um, you heard a little bit of in, in Titus and it's pretty much paralleled in the letter written to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this, that um, anyone that wants to be an elder should be, and and Tyler's going to put these up on the screen here for you, above reproach, okay? Basically what above reproach means is that um, if someone brings up a claim against them, let's say like a tabloid article about something that they did uh, came out, that, that an elder should be, his reputation should be so good that everybody would read that tabloid article and say, that's clearly not true. Now, the opposite happens, right? Where you read the tabloids, it very well might not be true, but you're like, maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. An elder should be above that, meaning like tabloid article comes out about Ryan and you're just like, that's clearly uh, made up. That's clearly made up. 
movie stars don't go to dinner with Ryan. Okay, so that's, that's above reproach. It's a really important one. Um, a husband of one wife. This is basically the idea that they're a one-woman kind of man, okay? That they are faithful and committed to their wife. Um, and if they're not yet married, that would be someone who lives a life of sexual morality according to biblical standards and who has a reputation of treating women well. The next thing, sober-minded, and, it, and it's paired with self-controlled. And basically the idea here is that um, they are not some, they're cool, they're calm, they're collected, they're not easily riled up, they're not um, uh, super argumentative, but, but they have a good head on their shoulders. They think through things well. Goes on to say respectable, meaning that they're a person of dignity and honor. They have that reputation. Hospitable, that they treat strangers well, that they invite people into their home, that they're not greedy with their own time and space. They're hospitable. Then it goes on to say they're able to teach. And this doesn't mean that they necessarily have to be um, great preachers of the word. It means that they understand the doctrine of Jesus Christ and they're able to articulate it and they're able to see if someone is articulating something in error and correct them, and then they're able to give gospel instruction. Able to teach. Not a drunkard. This means that they aren't addicted to wine, that they aren't addicted to any other substance that has rule and reign in their life. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not always trying to pick fights, always wanting to win an argument. They are able to change their mind. Not a lover of money, meaning they're not primarily driven about getting more stuff and more money in their bank account. That is not the primary motivation in their life. They're able to manage their own household well. Because how could you care for God's church, which is God's household, if you can't manage your own household well? Meaning... They're able to, as we see, keep their children submissive. Now, that sounds kind of harsh. Basically, what it's saying is their children choose to follow their leadership. They're able to lead, instruct, guide their family and their children, because if they can't do that, how are they going to do that in the church? You see, there's this real comparison between the household of the elder and the deacon and the household of the church. Says goes on to say they are not recent converts, meaning that they are mature in their faith, they're tested in their faith. And so each and every person that we're bringing up here today, because you'll see this as part of the qualifications for deacon as well, must have a tested faith. It's not new, they haven't just come to know Jesus recently, but they've got a track record of growth and maturity. It doesn't mean they're perfect, it means that we know that, the, that they are rooted deep in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We've seen that over time, okay? So I think each and every person who's up here has been a part of Sedaris Church for at least three years. So we have history with them. We know this isn't a flash in the pan. This isn't just a momentary excitement. This is long-term extended service and work in the body of Christ. And then finally it says that they're well thought of by outsiders, so you can go back and read um, the full form of this in 1 Timothy. But it's so important that they're not, they not only have a good reputation inside the church, but also if you went and talked to their neighbors and their friends outside of the church, 
that those people aren't seeing a different person than you're seeing in the church, which is to say that they are uh, unified. Uh, they are not disunified. They are the same person in all their relationships. That's so important with these candidates. So be looking. We're going to announce one elder candidate today. I want you to be looking at that person and asking the question, do they meet these qualifications? If you've seen anything in their life that might give you pause or concern, reach out to us. These are the qualifications that the scriptures give us for elders. Okay, now the qualifications for deacons. And what you're going to see is that they're very similar. Um, it's, not, it's not, again, as if elders are some spiritual position and deacons are, are just a practical position. Both are spiritual positions within the church. So, um, again, and if you're just keeping in 1 Timothy 3, what you'll see is that a deacon must be dignified, meaning that they have a good reputation, that they are honorable, um, that they are um, someone who you look at and you say, uh, I can trust that person, dignified. They are not double-tongued, meaning, again, that they're not double-minded. They don't say one thing here and another thing there. There's this unification of person in all parts of their life. They are not addicted to much wine. Same thing we talked about with elders. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. Same thing we talked about with elders. Um, they hold the faith with a clear conscience, is what First Timothy says, meaning that they too have a mature, rooted, deep faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. So they aren't ah, tossed to and fro, but they're that tree that, that even though they're standing in the winds of the church, that they are so rooted that they are, there's no chance of them moving. They, they hold the faith with a clear conscience. They are tested, same thing we said with elders. Um, we know, we've been watching these people, we've been watching their lives and how they live, and there's consistency, again, not perfection, but consistency that they, their faith has been tested, and, and it goes on to say that it is blameless, meaning there's no question about um, their true integrity, about that they truly believe the things that they say, that they do love and want to serve Jesus Christ with their life. There's no blame there. You could not question that. Again, it says husband of one wife or wife of one husband. So um, they are a one woman or a one man kind of person. So that would apply to single people as well who are deacons. You don't have to be married to be a deacon or an elder, um, but you would be the kind of person who has a reputation of being a one person kind of person <laughs> okay so uh, and then finally again managing children and their household well so you can read the full thing in first timothy 3 about elders and deacons as you're thinking and praying about these candidates so without further ado i'm going to introduce them one by one and then i'm going to bring them all up here to pray for them heavenly father we thank you for these men and women who you've called to senior leadership at our church god we thank you for the ways that you've brought them to this place. The stories, the stories are not stories of perfection or stories uh, of straight trajectory, God, but it really is the ups and downs of growing and being built up into Christ that, that marks each of their stories. And, and to bring them here to this point and to bring our church here to this point, 
um, of, of becoming stronger and growing deeper and taller um, so that we might serve the city and, and serve uh, your people as well, God, that, that we just give you the glory. This is about you and what you have done to bring us to this point. And um, you know, you know these folks more intimately than, than I do. And you know all the ways that you've been refining them and moving in them and continue to do that. And so we just thank you for them. We pray for them, God. We pray for protection um, from the enemies of your kingdom that want to tear down your people, particularly leaders who are taking initiative to move the mission forward. We know that comes with additional pressures, God. And so we just pray for the strength to persevere when that comes. We, we, we pray for the deepening of their faith. We pray for a, an, an intimacy with you um, that is new, even in this new season, as they begin to step into to further leadership. So we give them to you. Uh, we pray that you'd be in this next two weeks, this process of confirmation, that you'd be with uh, the rest of the people watching at home, that you would bring to mind anything that needs to be discussed or worked through so that we can all, um, um, in one voice, confirm them and, and follow their lead into the next season of life at Sedaris. So we pray this in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you guys. Yeah, <laughs> one more uh, round of applause. Okay. So, let's see here. I have one final charge for this group that comes from Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Let's see if we can get that up on the screen here so that you guys can read along with us. As I prayed, this is not easy work. This isn't um, something that just you do well by nature. This is something that you need the Spirit of God to move in you in order to create the kind of building up that God desires. And so we're going to be looking here at Acts chapter 20, verses 27 to 32, for one final charge to all these candidates and even to us as home. A Paul, or not Paul, but uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, says this. Um, he's quoting now Paul speaking. Uh, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. This is Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus. This is the last time he'll see them before he dies. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is it that builds us up, Paul says, and he's specifically talking to leaders, so I'm specifically talking to you senior leaders, candidates. It's the word of his grace. The message of his gospel of grace is the first thing that we all need 
in order to be built up. If we do not ruminate and soak in and absorb the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, His unmerited grace. You see, God hasn't called you to be leaders because you're special or unique. He saved you while you were not, while you were still sinners. And if you don't ruminate and soak in the gospel of grace and that message, you will not be built up in order to do this job. And all of us at home, we will not be built up unless we spend our time and our energy remembering what Christ Jesus did for us, which is to give his life as a ransom for ours. Not because we deserved it, but because his grace abounds. That is the first step in being built up. To sit underneath his word of his grace again and again and again and to preach it to one another and to remind one another that God saved us by grace. Let that be the thing that builds you up as you enter into a new season of leadership at Sedaris. For those of us at home, as we seek to be built up, may we ruminate on his gospel of grace every day, every moment, remembering what he's done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, and then you brought him back to life, new life, life abundant, life on the other side of death. God, that's what I desire for us, that we might sit in this grace, in this message of your love for us, undeserved, unearned, and that it might lead us to help others be built up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.